first time with us, just know how truly blessed we are by having you here. Um, last week, we went ahead and we looked at the things of the heart. We looked at murder. We looked at adultery. And we saw and we know that in Jeremiah 17, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, we were going to look at three major points today. Um, doing good to please God, the Lord's Prayer, and then laying up our treasures in heaven. However, um, I think we're only going to make it to two of them. <laughs> You know, I really wanted to give uh, just the Lord's Prayer. I didn't want to sell it short today or, or uh, do things in order to move on. So in your handouts, it's going to say uh, the study in Matthew from 1 to 21. However, I think we're going to cut it off right at 13 and then enjoy an amazing communion together. Um, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, there is so much red meat, if you will, to dig into. Um, or for you vegans out there, lots of couscous. So treasures in heaven just might have to wait until next week. You know, it's funny, because as a police officer and as a pastor, I always get people coming up to me and attempting to justify themselves, their actions to me. If you will, justify their sin. And I don't yell at them. I don't attempt to try to fix their problems. I just simply say, be right with God. So today's message is exactly that. Be right with God. Now, you see, the Pharisees, they thought that they were right with God. And people would look at them, and they would think, oh, they're so righteous. Look how pious they are. But what did Jesus call them? He called them a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. And how do you pray? Well, First Thessalonians says, 5.17 says, we should pray without ceasing. Now, does this mean that we never leave our house, that we don't eat, we don't sleep, that we just continuously pray all day and all night long? No. But it does mean that when God places somebody on our hearts, that we should pray for them. Whether you're at a stoplight or, a re or a, a, a standing in line um, in a grocery store, you need that quiet time, that prayer closet that you go to, to spend time with the Lord without distractions. Hello? I have to turn the ringer off on my phone. Thank you, beautiful. That was my lovely wife, by the way, calling to remind me. And Michelle, I can't thank you enough for being in my life, for taking care of me in all things. Now, <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Over the phone, is it necessarily an intimate conversation that you have with somebody? No, right? And sometimes when we're on the phone, we try multitasking, right? We go ahead and we're cleaning the house while we're talking to the person. We're on the computer. We're watching TV or, dare I say, driving. I know none of you in here would do something like that. <laughs> How engaged are we really, though, in the conversation when we're doing all those other things? And you know, I think sometimes we can be like that when we pray to God. But 
what if, what if vision this, envision this, that we were in his throne room? What if we were standing before God? What would our conversation be like? Would it be different? Now let's go ahead and envision our prayer that we are in his throne room when we're praying. Now does our prayer become a little bit different? Does it become a little more intimate? Face to face, how much deeper would that relationship be? Now, have you ever had that person that every time they called you on the phone, that here it was, they were always asking for something? You know, and it gets to the point to where so much so that when you answer the phone, you answer it, what do you want now? <laughs> do, you, do you have those people that are in your life? I do. And you know, sometimes I think that we can almost treat God that same way. We treat him as a genie God. And in our prayers, we say, God, please give me a million dollars. God, please give me a new house or a brand new Porsche. He still hasn't given me my Porsche yet. But we lose the intimacy in prayer when we make him that genie God. And I think sometimes he can be like, oh, it's Adam. What does he want me now? You know, the disciples in Luke 11 1 said, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he had ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. We're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray today. That being said, would you pray with me? Dear precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. You are so good. You are so powerful. You are so mighty. And we thank you so very much, Lord, that we just have the opportunity to break open your word. Lord, to delve into your scripture. And God, we thank you. We sing your praises for this. And Lord, I just pray that, Lord, as you would use me as your vessel, as your mouthpiece today, Lord, that if there's anything of man, that you would truly stay it. Don't just let it fall upon deaf ears. But, Lord, if it's of you, etch it upon our hearts. Lord, know my prayer, not in vain repetition, but know my heart. Know all of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you open up in your Bibles to Matthew 6, starting off in verse 1, take heed that you do your charitable deeds. Do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself openly reward you. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room 
And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Man. So we start off here in verse 1. And Jesus says, Take heed that you do your charitable deeds before men, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You see, in the area of praying, of giving and fasting, Jesus talks about the hypocrites or hypocrites. Hypocrites is a, is a Greek word, and what it means is, is um, mask wearer. Now, hypocrites were actors in the Greek theater who wore masks and they were very exaggerated forms uh, with huge smiles or frowns so, that, frowns so that even in the back of the theater, people would understand and get the emotions that were being portrayed. We get the, the word uh, or the phrase two-faced. Uh, it's the same idea behind this. And Jesus said, don't be hypocritical in your giving. So that begs the next question. How... Do the hypocrites give? Now, originally, you see, there was an area on the side of the courtyard and at the temple, and it was called the Chamber of the Secret. And people would go there, and they would drop off gifts that were designated for the poor. Um, with this, it was done very discreetly. It was done in humility and in honesty. But as the years went on, the Pharisees decided that it wasn't practical to go all the way to the temple and to give alms to the poor. So instead, they tied a very small brass or silver trumpet onto their belts. Then, um, whenever they wanted to give to the poor, they'd stand on a street corner, they'd go ahead and sound the trumpet, and everybody knew that here it was, they were going to go ahead and distribute the alms. And it was done with great flourish. And everybody around them would look at them and say, wow, oh, look how righteous that he is. Oh, the Pharisees, they're doing such a great thing for the Lord. Yet Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites because they gave not out of concern for the poor, but that they might be seen by men. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Now, again, we have a twofold meaning here. The chamber of the secret, not openly before man, and one of the reasons that you'll see that our tithes and offerings box just sits out in the foyer. 
We don't pass a basket. We don't pass a plate or anything along those lines. But instead, it is between you and God. And that's how our giving should be. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, notice here, Jesus doesn't say if you do a charitable deed, but when you do a charitable deed. You see, the assumption is that we will give. Now, the only question is how will we do it? Will we share it secretly? And then if you do, your father will openly reward you. Now, when it snows up here, we know that it can be a little bit of a challenge. Getting from place to place upon our highways. And somebody who doesn't live up here, well, if they're not properly prepared, they can usually get stuck. And sometimes it's even a life or death situation. However, over the past winter, we had a storm. And uh, in this, this lady ended up getting stuck on the backside of the 38. Well, during that, one of my sergeants was on his way home. And he was sweeping the backside of the 38, making sure there's nobody stuck up there, and came across this young lady. Well, he knew that there was no way that she was going to get a tow truck any time this, this time at night. Took her down the hill, went into Redlands, got her a hotel, paid for it, and said, somebody will be here to pick her up in the morning. The next morning, I went out, picked her up, got her over to the car, found it buried, thanks to Caltrans, under about oh, 15 feet of snow. <laughs> Dug it out, got her the tow truck, and got her on her way. Now, I tell you, that sergeant, he receives his wards up in heaven. He didn't go around tooting his horn. He didn't say, hey, guys, you know what I did? No, not at all. But I knew about it. And now all of you do too. And unfortunately, we live in a society now that you don't hear about those good things. You don't hear about the charitable deeds that each and every one of you does on a daily basis. But instead, all we hear about is, oh, you know, us cops that go around just indiscriminately shooting people. Because we can. Now, it goes on and it says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You see, the Pharisees designated the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour as times of prayer. And as such, in other words, nine o'clock in the morning, at noon, and then at three o'clock in the afternoon. And they would faithfully gather in the synagogues and the temples um, in order to offer up their prayers. And we're told in the book of Daniel that here it was, he was a man of God, and he opened his window towards Jerusalem and prayed three times a day. But the Pharisees, they were not doing this to seek the Lord. Rather, they did it to be seen by man three times a day. And how do we know this? Well, it got to the point to where on their way to the prayer meetings, the Pharisees would stop on the corner and they would begin to offer these long, very verbose prayers. And in doing so, they were saying, we are so eager, we can't even wait to get to the, the temples. We're just going to start praying right here, Lord. See, and the people would get in. They'd look and they'd say, wow, how righteous they are. You know, Sometimes we can do that in our own supple ways. Oh, yes, brother. At 3 o'clock this morning, 
God placed you on my heart and I was praying for you. What are we really doing? All right, we're kind of tooting our own little horn there, our own self, right? Letting somebody know that, yeah, I was up at three o'clock in the morning. I prayed continuously. Yeah. Jesus said, don't do it. It's hypocrisy. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray that your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. The Father who sees you in secret will bless you openly and eternally. Now, we need to have that time, that quiet place that we can go and we can pray. Yes, it's important when, somebody, when God places somebody on your heart that, yes, pray for them immediately. And, you know, I mean, because a lot of times I think we get caught up in things. We get caught up. We're there in the grocery store, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I need to pray for Chris. Well, I'll do that when I get home. And then we get home, and the phone rings. And then, of course, you know, the last night we recorded the latest uh, flash, you know, so we got to watch that. But we get caught up. So I encourage you, pray immediately. But in the same accord, Jesus, what he's saying here is make time to spend with our Lord. I wake up and I pray at 3.30 every morning. You see, I said that intentionally to see if you guys were listening. <laughs> but I do. And, you know, because, because in the Psalms, David says that we should rise early and give God our praise. And in the early morning, it's nice because everybody else is asleep. The house is quiet. And it's a time that I can truly enter into my prayer closet. It's a time that I can do my study. I can go ahead, do my own personal Bible study. And it truly prepares me in the secret for my rewards that will come. And if you do that, they will come again and again. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. See, Jesus encourages us to be short and concise in our prayers. And to me, it's very liberating. Because, you know, sometimes I think, oh, the longer that I pray, God is going to be so impressed with me. In Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You see, your prayers don't have to be long. And I also often bring up the example of when here it was, Jesus was walking on water and Peter gets called out to him. And as he takes his eyes off of Jesus and starts sinking, does he go into this long prayer? Does he sit there and go, oh, great heavenly father, I sinketh. Can you send the great angel of buoyancy to lift me up and carry me out of this mire? Does he do that? No. What does he do? He says three simple words. Lord, save me. That's it. There's a time and place to spend to be with our Lord. Yes, but remember, he already knows what we want before we even ask it. And you know, I think that's coming up in the next verse. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. 
See, I thought so. Okay, Jesus, then how do we pray? In this manner, therefore, pray. Thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. I love this prayer. I love that Jesus taught us how to pray. Shall we go ahead and break it down? Our Father. Stop! Let's go no further than that right now. You see, in simply claiming him as our Father, we see submission, we see recognition, and stake a claim on who we are as Christians. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word here, Abba, for Father, which means more like Papa or Daddy. He doesn't use Elohim, the strong one of the Old Testament. He does not use El Shaddai, the mighty one, or Yahweh, the unspeakable word that meant I am that I am. Why did Jesus suddenly say, when you pray, call God Daddy, Papa, Abba Father? Was God no longer powerful? Was he no longer unspeakable? Was he no longer omnipotent God? of the Old Testament? Did God change? No, God didn't change, but we did. You see, I used to have a problem with this, that the infinite God of the universe, I could go ahead and call Daddy. As a matter of fact, we used to have a worship leader here. Um, his name was Joe, and when he prayed, he used to pray that. Daddy, Father in heaven. And you know, he used to bug me. How can you sit here and go ahead and call the infinite God of the universe, Daddy, be so impersonal with him? You know, as a matter of fact, it bugged me so much, I went ahead and I ran to Jeff, doing a little bit of whining and complaining. But it was interesting. What Jeff said to me, he said, when you come home from work, he goes, do your kids greet you? Do they bow down and say, oh, great, powerful father, the one who takes care of our finances, who provides for us, who protects us, who buys us sugar cereal when mom's not looking? <laughs> We're so great, wonderful father. We're glad that you're home. Do they do that? No. What do they do? They simply yell out, daddy. And they come and we wrap arms around each other. See, he's still powerful. He's still unspeakable. He's still omnipotent God. But he's also daddy. Our father, who art in heaven. Stop! <laughs> heaven. What are we recognizing here? Earth is temporal. Heaven is eternal. We see that there's more than just what's here on earth. That we have something to look forward to, eternity. And eternity where? In heaven. Jesus said that, that there are many mansions in heaven. And I go there to prepare a place for you. Now, that was close to 2,000 years ago. If God could create the stars, the moon, this earth, everything, the entire universe in six days, can you imagine what your mansion looks like 
after over 6,000 years? I don't know, but I'm pretty excited about that, you know? And it's amazing because there's more. If we look in Revelation, he also said that he was going to build a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know about you, but something better when I look out and I see the creation? Something better than this already? Well, to use the words of mercy me, I can only imagine. Hallowed is your name. Hallowed. You know, I think that that's a word that's been lost in our language because the concept has been lost from our lives. It means to make holy, separated, or transcendent. Oh, Lord, hallowed, holy is your name. Everyone around me, everything that touches me, all that is within me has been tainted and eroded away by sin. But you, O oh Lord, you are holy. Hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the operative word here? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not Adam's will be done. And all too often, I think we try to dictate or tell God what we want is going to happen. Many times I pray, and when I do, I'll state, not my will, but yours be done, God. So is it wrong to ask something from God? Well, I will caution you that if it is not in his will, it's probably not going to happen. Secondly, if it does, you should probably watch out because he didn't want you to have it in the first place. Now, Adam, how do we go about determining his will? Well, I told you a story a little ways back, and I'll reiterate it now, about a harbor in France and three lights that are out there. See, this harbor was very treacherous, and there was only one way in order to make it into this harbor. So what they did was they set a light off in the distance, one closer to the shore, and then one right there on the shore. And when all of those lights went ahead and lined up, then you could sail your boat right into the harbor, right past the rocks, right past all of the danger. And you know, I believe that if we go ahead and line up God's will, those three lights in our own life, we'll be able to go ahead and determine what God's will is for us. So first, what's the first light? First light is the word of God. Understanding that his direction will never contradict God's instruction. The second light, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to us through godly counsel. Third light is circumstances. You see, nothing happens on accident or outside of God's perfect plan. So God will open and shut doors for you. So, if it's favorable circumstances, positive godly counsel, and confirming scripture, then I say go for it. It's God's will. Now, one of the other things, too, that always interests me is a lot of people, when we think about God's will, they think that God's will is this pinpoint. It's this little dot, and that we constantly have to aim for that. And if it's not from that, then it's not from God. But instead, I say to you, God's will is this big circle. And there are many different options. If maybe you're in a young adult here today 
and you're wondering, where, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? Do you think God can use you in the ministry? Yes, and amen. Can God use you as a doctor? Yes, he can. Can he use you working for Burtek as a trash collector? Yes. So his will doesn't have to be, oh, well, I know I've got to grow up. I've got to be a minister. Just like my favorite minister, Tanner. <laughs> no, no. Instead, he can use you in many different ways. Think of his will as that giant circle. Many things that are encompassed within it. Now, on this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, all too often, we seek those earthly things. We want more money, a bigger house, a better job. And do these things sound like heavenly things to you? No. Now, that's not to say that our Father will not bless us, okay? And coming from Matthew 7, 9 through 11, we'll get to that in probably a few weeks, um, it says, or what man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. If then being evil know how to, uh, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, if God wants to bless us, and if it's in his will, how much more are we likely to receive? Amen? Yes. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. You see, the chances of me getting a Porsche keep getting slimmer and slimmer, don't they? Now, we shouldn't ask for a million dollars, just our daily bread. Take care of our needs, God, not all of our wants. Do you remember Moses reading the Israelites out of uh, Egypt? Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, okay? Exodus 16, verse 17. To get there, just go to uh, Genesis, that's the first one in the beginning, and go to your right. Exodus 16, verse 17. And verse 17 says, Then the children of Israel did so, and they gathered. What were they gathering? They were gathering manna. Some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. You see, every man according to his need. Now, honestly, we don't really mean, know what it means to be hungry. We don't know what it means not to have a roof over our heads. And I don't, I don't think I've seen any one of you walking around naked lately. So, God takes care of our needs. 
And for good measure, he usually throws in a couple of our wants too. Verse 12, going back to Matthew. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God's mercy and grace is such that our debts are forgiven. Why? Because of what his son did for us on the cross. I'd like to tell you a little story. Anybody heard of C.S. Lewis? All right. Well, there was a question that was posed. What is found in Christianity which is not found in any other religion? This was the question that was asked during a seminar featuring several prominent Christian uh, theologians. And C.S. Lewis, the brilliant uh, thinker and gifted author, was caught in traffic that day. And while the rest of them puzzled over this question, after about an hour, Lewis arrived. And the question was posed to him. And he said, that's simple. The forgiveness of sin. Our past is buried in God's forgiveness and forgetfulness. He does not remember our sin anymore. And that's what makes Christianity absolutely unique. Now, this isn't one-sided as we look at it here. We are saved by grace and our sins are forgiven, but what are we instructed to do? Forgive our debtors. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And you know, I've seen more difficulty in this area than I think in any other. We bask in the forgiveness that God gives us through the Son when it was nailed, all of our sins to the cross. But man, look out. Adam, that guy's such a jerk, though. I gotta forgive him? You don't know what she did to me. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> God doesn't remember our sin anymore. I could never, never be friends with that person, him or her. How quickly forget. But Jesus reminds us in this passage, Jesus reminds me when we're praying that it's not one-sided, that I have given you an example to follow. Now follow it. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the word temptation, it doesn't mean drawing us into sin. But remember we talked about it when Jesus was out in the desert. But instead, into testing. Tempted. Although scripture records Abraham was tempted with a knife in his hand and his son at the altar. And we read that in Genesis 22.1. The temptation was not to do evil. It was a testing. And in James 1.13, it says that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man with evil. God does not tempt you. Then what is it that Jesus is teaching us here when we pray? Lead us not into testing. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't the word declare that testing is good? Right? Doesn't James say to count it all as joy when we fall into various trials, various tests and trials, knowing that the testing produces patience? Doesn't Peter say that to test 
that tests purify us as gold in the refiner's fire, then why would we pray, lead us not into testing? The answer is humility. Would any of us stand up today and say, Lord, test me. I'm ready. Send some testing my way. Watch me flex my spiritual muscles. <laughs> you know, if we were to do that, we would be completely foolish. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Then God should take me through that testing, and I can embrace it joyfully, knowing that he will not test me above what I am able. Corinthians 10, 13. But deliver us from the evil one. You know, there was once a story about George Adam Smith. He was a preacher and an author. And he was also on a mountain climber. And he was on this tour one time up in the Swiss Alps. And he was on this one particularly high peak. And he went up to the very precipice. And he looked over all of Switzerland. Suddenly, a strong gust of wind came up. And with that, threatened to blow him over and down the mountain. Several feet away from him, his guide yelled, Mr. Smith, on your knees, on your knees, sir. The only way you're safe is on your knees. It has been rightly said that Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Jesus taught us to pray, God protect us. Lead us not into trials and testing and deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This concise and powerful prayer ends in an explosion of praise, literally reading, for thine is the kingship and the weight of your substance. It's all yours. You're the king. You are powerful. Glory be to you, God. When we consider God's person, he is Abba. He is Father, Papa, Daddy. When we consider his purpose, it's his will, which is right and good. When we consider his provision, he gives us our daily bread. He gives us the bread of life. When we look at his pardon, I am forgiven and I can forgive others. And when we look at his protection, I am tempted and protected from the evil one. We have no other choice but to worship him. God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need us to go ahead and to be bowing down on a regular basis. But when I'm at a place where I'm saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, with open heart and raised hands, suddenly I'm outside of myself. I'm lifted above all of my cares, all of my worries. You know, the Lord's Prayer is comprised of 65 uh, profoundly simple and profoundly um, profound words. You can meditate on this for hours for days, for months, for years, and for the rest of your life. But I encourage you to appropriate it right now. Make it yours. 
When we pray, pray as Jesus taught us. Allow this prayer to be worked in your life, and you'll find a whole new dimension to the Lord's person, his purpose, his provision, his pardon, his protection, and his preeminence. It'll work throughout your life. Let's go ahead and just one more time. Read through the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. It's so powerful, folks. It's so powerful. Model your prayer after this. We're going to have the worship team come on up, and we're going to receive communion today. And they're going to go through a song as the elements are being handed out. And I encourage you, make your heart right. Take that time in prayer. Go through it. Prepare your hearts and minds to receive the elements, to receive the amazing gift that has been given us on this day. There must be more than this Oh breath of God, come breathe within There must be more than this Spirit of God, we wait for you Fill us anew, we pray Fill us anew, we pray, consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name, O Spirit of God, fall in this place, Lord have your way, Lord have your way with us. Come like a rushing wind Clothe us with power from on high Now set the captives free Leave us abandoned to your praise Lord, let your glory fall 
Lord, let your glory fall, consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name, O Spirit of God, fall in this place, Lord, have your way, Lord, have your way. Consuming fire, fan into flame, a passion for your name, O Spirit of God, will fall in this place. Lord, have your way, Lord, have your way with us. Have your way with us, Lord. Have your way in us. Oh, consuming fire, fan into flame. A passion for your name, Spirit of God, fall in this place. Lord, have your way, Lord, have your way in us. What we hold in our hands. It's not just a little bit of grape juice. It's not just a broken cracker. But instead the representation of our Lord. His body and his blood that was shed for us. The amazing gift. We didn't have to work for it. We didn't have to pay a price for it. Instead it was given to us freely. All we had to do is accept him as our savior. Ask for his forgiveness. How amazing. How amazing that he would do that for me. That he would do that for us. So as we hold the embodiment of the body and blood of Christ, let's not take it lightly. But know what a cost. For us. Let's pray. Holy God, precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't take it lightly, the gift that was given. Lord, all of my sins were nailed to the cross. You did that for me. You did that for us. God, thank you. Thank you. We thank you for the fact that heaven is ours. Heaven is ours. A gift given to us, Lord, through the sacrifice of your son. You are so good. You are so great. 
precious Holy One. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Let us partake together.